morning. This morning's passage is from Colossians 4, verses 2 through 6, and it can be found on page 1045 in the Black Chair Bibles. Hear the word of the Lord. Devote yourselves to prayer. Stay alert in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open a door to us for the word to speak the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains so that I may make so that I may make it known as I should act wisely toward outsiders making the most of your time let your speech always be gracious seasoned with salt so that you may know how you should answer each person this is God's holy and inspired word thanks be to God good morning wasn't that an awesome passage Usually we read about two or three books or chapters, don't we? Is that good? Let me set up. Oh, I brought something for you. You got to get one of these. The coffee mug. It says, Christ offers forgiveness for everyone everywhere. Is that good? I'll put it up here so you can admire it. You can come and touch it and see it afterward. Isn't that great? Looking for opportunities all the time, man. It's just like amazing. So, um, I was hoping... Please don't share this because I'll get in a lot of trouble. That Michigan would lose because then Godwin would have stayed home, our pastor, and lamented. All the lamenting psalms, he'd have been all over them. And he would have asked me to come and take his place and preach. But they didn't lose, man. And this is not a pot shirt. Somebody came to me and said, it looks like a pot shirt. It's a sad Buckeye shirt. Is that good, Ryan? Do you get that? Okay, all right. Michigan people are going, what's going? On a great note, um, one of our young people, Alan Kiefer from the Kiefer family. Maybe you know the Kiefer family, anybody? Alan Kiefer has been, uh, I've been coaching him for the last several years. He's been a youth pastor, and God's called him to be a, a pastor of two campuses in Jackson, Kentucky, right near Viper and Hazard, all that flooded. And when he and his young wife and their little ones went down there, the house they were going to move in flooded. The church is flooded. And that's what Alan's been immersed in the last number of weeks. So he's one of your kids who's a real pastor of two campuses, loves the Lord, just amazing. God has so much fruit coming out of this church. It's just amazing. So is that awesome? So be praying for them. They're not discouraged. And he said, honestly, Keith, it's given me more chance to rub shoulders with everybody in the congregation. You know, when you're ripping out walls and you don't have a place to stay and you're serving each other food, it changes everything. You know, so it's really, really, uh, for them, it's like, even though it's hard, it's, it's awesome. So, yeah, let's pray. Father, I just ask you that you would not let anything that I say, uh, confuse or hinder anybody, but that your Holy Spirit would interpret your word as it is written, and the power of your Holy Spirit would just awake us. In Jesus' holy name I pray. And all God's people said, all right. We have been on a couple of uh, series recently on conversion, right? Wasn't it good? And out of conversion uh, studies, we realized that an authentic conversion or an authentic believer is someone that has a repentant heart. Someone said to me about this church, because we have a confession time, a repentant time, 
I don't need to be told every Sunday that I need to repent. Well, actually, even though you're free and clear and he nailed it to the cross, it changes everything when your heart changes, right? When you renew the relationship and you recognize your sin. I just did that a moment ago because I don't want to be a, a vessel that's unclean before the Lord in terms of my attitude or spirit. But a repentant person is a sign of authentic believers. But the other side of that is profession. Who do you say that he is? The profession of the faith, right? You've been given much, and so profession is how you mark a person. A person's ready to talk about Jesus and rejoicing and, and seeing him and everything. And he's the hope and answer. That, that means that the person is a child of God in a lot of ways, you know? There's also an excellent, excellent uh, teaching last week in the Sunday school part of it, and then also the gender identity thing. Y'all, how many of you attended that? Okay. Really well done. It was so good. We as a staff, uh, we as a teaching team kind of talked about, you still, when you come to the end of that very excellent biblical statement and study, you realize if a person doesn't accept Genesis 1 and 2, and that's truth, there's no more discussion. You know, you can argue and debate and study and use science and things, but the reality is if God's set in motion, if God is who he is, says he is and has done this, the creation speaks for itself, right? Isn't that cool? But on the other hand, you're walking out and saying, okay, so what do, I, what do I do or what do I say to those that, if I have a child that has confusion or, you know, this kind of thing? And um, I wanted to mention, first of all, Dick Lehman, our pastor Dick Lehman is excellent in terms of counsel. He's a professional, but a pastor Go see him if you have any of those questions that should have been mentioned even last week. Maybe it was, but Pastor Dick Lehman has just dealt with so much, and he is on top of it as far as these things these days. So please talk to him if you still have some questions about the identity issues in our society with children, with adults, whatever, or homosexuality or whatever. You know, it's just, uh, it's all part of the deal. When we went with the youth, the young people from this church to Kansas City to the National Youth Conference of the Free Church, Dr. Christopher Yan spoke. You ever heard of him, any of you? amazing, okay? And he just, I mean, the kids just ate it up, but he had been a Chinese gay guy, and he showed his pictures of the things in the bar and all his boys. It wasn't anything lewd, but it's just like, you know, that's the whole gay scene. Then he was arrested and put in prison for, I forget how long, for drug <laughs> passing in that community. And his little mama, little Chinese lady that I got to hug. You ever seen the movie War Room? About this grandma that prayed for this woman's marriage? That movie was dedicated to his mother when it was written because that's what she did every single day for her, her gay son that was just totally opposite from anything. She had like a toilet roll that had, um, you know, separate pieces of paper that she could post up, you know. Every day she prayed for her mom. And so he's telling this amazing story that he went from, yeah, it's one thing to be convicted of the ungodliness and the non-biblicalness of the gay homosexual lifestyle, we always expect a person to jump from here to heterosexual, right? What's happened to him is, what happened to me was, he said, when I resolved the fact that my total identity is Jesus, it's not this or that, you know? Amazing. It was just, and everything, it's, no, Paul says it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives me in the life I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, Right? So he's saying that, which was just so powerful. So he wrote a book called Holy Sexuality and the Gospel. And I talked to our speaker, Denny, was it Denny, last name, uh, Burke, I guess. And I, he said, yeah, I talk to him all the time. He knows them and they're friends. 
So, I mean, that might be helpful where you pick up that book. And I think they had it in the library, but I forgot about that. All right, enough. Would you close your eyes for a minute and go with me on a little trip? Now, hear me. I want you to think of one person in your sphere of influence, family, school, work, job, sports, whatever it is, one person that you consider yourself acquainted with and care about, and they are not followers of Jesus. They have no, they've not transferred their trust to Christ. They are lost. They're going to go to a crisis eternity. They're going to go to hell if they should die day, today. And you know that, and you're sitting here going, man, when you have that one person, child, adult, whoever, would you raise your hand? I want to see when you've got that one person emblazoned on your heart, burn it on your heart. Think of that person. Okay, please, everybody, if you, when you get them, seal it now. Now look up at me. I want you to, in this passage we're going to study, I want you to walk through it with me and your friend, okay? Um, I don't want you to take any notes. Don't need notes. There'll be nothing up there. It's in the Word. This is so clear and so simple. Anything extra I say, you don't need to write down. But you'll know in your heart of hearts what God is saying to you in the Word. So don't worry about writing or keeping up or this kind of thing. But I want you to bring this person with you. I want to clarify something. I always draw the evangelism card, right? How many of you heard that? I'm an evangelist, right? We got to get corrected on something like that. Evangelism is a spiritual gift. It generally means a person that, is, that does the harvest, right? A lot of times I'm there when a person prays to receive him or makes that step of faith. But there's a whole community of believers that have probably planted seeds, you know, and watered and fertilized that. You know, do you understand that? So some of you in this room probably have the gift of evangelism. I mean, I used to not, but God gave it to me, and now I share with anything that moves, just in case. But without you, it's hopeless. That's why this morning it's so important what Paul is saying to us. Now, how do you get excited about it? I'm a, a, a God gossiper. <laughs> I'm a gossip. And my kids won't tell me stuff because they know I'll tell it. I promise I won't tell anything I shouldn't tell, but if you tell me something good, I'll tell all over. So how many of you got, you know, don't tell anybody that we're pregnant? You or your wife? No, me. And it's like, okay, when can I tell? We've had that in our family. Someone's expecting a baby and you can't wait to tell somebody. Or you got a new job and, or a promotion, you're very excited. Or like me, I got a new car this week. Huh? And I had to tell somebody and I'm kind of an introvert. <laughs> and you are all kinds of breed that God has made you. Even an introvert wants to share, and I'm an extrovert, of course, but that we want to share with somebody or an engagement, and the girls are going, they're walking in, hi, how are you today? This kind of thing, you know. They, or my problem is that with three children and 14 grandchildren, three great-grandchildren, I brag about kids all the time. My kid did this. My kid was on the honor roll at Milford High School. And then Bumper comes along and says, I beat up his kid that's on the honor roll. It's like, seriously, so we're, we're always talking about our stuff. We're excited or we're warning somebody. We were out of water. Water main was broken on our street. I called all my neighbors like 8 o'clock in the morning. Hey, do you know we're out of water? You want me to get some at Kroger's, blah, blah, blah. That urgent, I couldn't wait to tell. Maybe God can use this. I was excited. 
back to sleep, Keith. He said, you know. <laughs> now, let me ask you this. You know what I'm talking about there? Do you have that? How many of you are keeping secrets right now that you want to tell? How excited and eager are you to tell your lost friend about Jesus Christ and the way he is supreme and he is sufficient and he's all you need? Do you feel compelled that John, like Jonathan Harper on the sinking of the Titanic, a Scottish pastor that put his wife and, I mean, his daughter and a Another family member in a lifeboat, there are Christians and encouraged all the unbelievers to get on boats and all the Christians to stay back. And he went around, he was compelled to tell everybody, are you saved? Believe in Jesus Christ and you will. And he's floating on a remnant of the ship. And there's another person who floats near him and he goes, are you saved? The guy says, no, I'm not. Floats back. We thought the guy had drowned, that John Harper had drowned. A few minutes later, here comes John. Are you saved yet? Are you born again yet? Are you born again? He said, no, I'm not yet. That same man, and of course, Jonathan, John, Harper, I mean, uh, John Harper died. He was supposed to be a pastor at Moody. He died, and one of the people that died, months later, a Scottish guy in a meeting said, I am John, Jonathan Harper's last convert, was the one that said, <laughs> Do you, he was compelled because, man, and we're on the Titanic in this nation, aren't we? If this was Ukraine before, we're all going to the mall, we're hanging out, we're going to sports kind of stuff, having coffee, running, fitness, all this kind of stuff. And the next week, all hell breaks out. Literally, Ukraine is a mess. But the church of Jesus Christ, the sufficiency of Jesus is all over that place. Amen? Make sense? Okay. Do you know, if you're compelled to tell that friend that I just asked you about, um, do you know what to tell them? That's a reasonable question, right? What will you say? Are you willing to use words? Okay. The truth is, this is not an option. It is urgent right now. You must tell him or her. You must. The truth is, we read in Colossians, we've studied that book before in this from this pulpit, and Jesus is supreme. He is everything. He's totally sufficient. He is enough. He's the answer for everything. He really is. But we scoot around with all this other stuff. It's Jesus. Is your reality that you are so full of his joy? You know, I talk about, joking about having a series when I preach a couple times a year. I spoke December 26th. The last thing I said about what drove the joy of Jesus was his to seek and save the lost. Do you remember that? Remember that? That's his joy to reconcile man to God. Is your joy so full that you can't wait and you must tell this person that you have in your heart about him and his sufficiency? You can't hold it in and you leak. Any of you leak here? When I was in the 60s with the drug thing and all this kind of stuff in the Jesus movement, and there was a guy that I met who had been so stoned and so on drugs. By the way, this is not a pot shirt. Some of you come and say, the pot shirt. It's a depressed Buckeye shirt. That, see, blue, you know. But he was so stoned, he couldn't remember anything. He came to Jesus and he said, all I can do is every morning meet him and ask him to fill me up with everything of his self and then let me leak all day. He was serious as could be. Do you know what I'm talking about? 
Some people are so fried and so burnt that unless Jesus Christ is their center and identity and self-esteem and supremacy, you know, insufficiency, there's nothing home. And that's the way that guy is. Is that you? Are you compelled to tell? Now, the context of this chapter reading is the environment or the saints of Colossae. Colossae, you can say it. It's in modern-day Turkey. There was great persecution like there is now. Great opposition to the gospel. People spread all over the place. There was heresies within. There was a Roman culture that dominated everything in the Greco-Roman thing. Jewish religion had gotten skewed in a lot of ways, and the do's and don'ts slipped into Christianity really quickly there to continue being a Judaizer, or Gnosticism was another piece of that. And he was so in love with the Colossian Christians, he said, I want to encourage you. I want to remind you. And if you went to chapter 1 and read it in Colossians, you would see the incredible person of Jesus Christ that he is so thanking. He's praising God. He prays for them all the time and says, you know, I know that you know who he is, and I want to remind you not to be confused. Jesus is the, God is the embodiment, total embodiment in Jesus. The deity totally took a body in Jesus Christ. And so you'll see later on, he talks about being thankful. I want to encourage them. He's at the end of his life. I was going to do a Paul thing and chain myself to something, but I don't know if he was chained. Then you know that he was in prison, I believe, at this point. Some think he was in a house, but in chains, nevertheless, he had screwed up in the minds of the Jews, and he, he pled his Roman citizenship, and this whole time he's going to Rome. He can't wait to meet with the Roman Christians, all this kind of stuff. And so he's in prison in Rome. He is very confident, though. He's not discouraged, and he's compelled. He's compelled to tell, and you'll see it as we read. The truth here in these verses, and let's, let's do it one more time. Verse 2, chapter 4, devote yourselves to prayer and stay alert in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open a door to us for the word to speak the mystery of Christ. He was talking about the confusion there was about, was Jesus some kind of innate, I mean, a force of some sort, or is it really a person of living God? So that I may make it known, he said, for which I'm in chains, that I make it, make it known as I should. Act wisely toward outsiders, making the most of the time, and let your speech always be gracious and seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you should answer each person. So Paul gives a very powerful yet natural instructions to believers, and thus to us, as all scriptures profitable for truth and rebuke and training in righteousness. And so for us, our relationships with the pagan world, pagan just means a non-follower of Jesus, lost and non-believing world. He gives these instructions. He, you already saw in chapter 3 how he's saying put off and put on, right? So Paul, at this point, is giving three musts. Say must. And say imperative. Say command. It's a gentle command, but it's a truthful command. That we must take these three musts, and they're essential to engage with other people with our lives so that they can hear the gospel, okay? It's not optional. I'm going to give you the key to it. Say pat. Prayer, say prayer. Say act. Say tell. That's the guts of what we're teaching this morning and focusing on, to pray, 
to act and to tell. You'll see that in a moment. Well, in verses 2 through 4, it says we must pray first. When Jesus in Matthew 9, 35 through 38, he, he's preaching and healing and teaching, and he's going about the countryside, and he stops, and I've said this so many times, in verses 35 through 38, and he sees these people, they were like sheep without a shepherd, harassed and helpless, and his heart broke, right? I am Being a man of prayer, I'm sure he was praying and talking to his father about this, and then he calls forth workers for the harvest. He said, they're ripe to know you, God. But Jesus always prayed before everything and prayed in everything, and constant relationship with his father. Now, you and I kick around prayer. I've always wanted to be a great prayer warrior. I am not, okay? There's uh, the prayer intercessor, which is someone that prays through something for a long time. How many of you are intercessors? There's the prayer warrior that takes the immediate, urgent, dynamic thing and prays it right now. Lord, heal this person right now. You know, this kind of thing. Or, you know, something in a different realm. By the way, one Sunday night a month, I think it's the last Sunday night a month, we have a prayer meeting here that's priceless. It really is amazing. And last week was just like reports from God's work in our lives. It's body life. I'm telling you what, if you want to be encouraged and refreshed, please don't stay home. There's no football game. There's nothing on in your yard. Just come here for that one hour and you will be so deeply blessed. Amen? Anybody been there? It's so... So the prayer that's talking about here is a constant, devoted, urgent talking with the Heavenly Father, with the Holy Spirit, with God Himself, without ceasing, which you find in 1 Thessalonians 5, I think it is. And he said, in the praying, I want you to stay alert and watchful. The way I see this is God answers, and we're always praying stuff to Him, always asking Him stuff, always praising Him, this kind of thing, but we're not looking. I love it when he shows me his answers right away. <clears throat> I have to yes, no, or wait, you know? But he's saying, watch, be watchful, be careful about all the heresies and stuff that's going on, but pray and be watchful. And then he says, with thanksgiving or thankfulness. I don't know about you, but if God took this all away from us, all this stuff we've got, I'm so thankful that Jesus is my Lord and Savior. I'm a beggar before the King and I'm safe, right? I'm his child. Isn't that enough to be thankful about? Some of our people are dying. And I've watched them on their deathbeds and they're suffering. Bless and adorn and glorify Jesus and share Christ constantly with other people. Amen? It's just so amazing. So he's saying to these precious people that are just, they're just under it, man. Be thankful. Be watchful. Watch what he's going to do. And then also pray for us for opportunities for open doors with outsiders. So here's Paul chained to... It's like, he, you know, you and I visit him, and we're there at the jail cell, and he's chained, and he's so excited to see us, because what's going on around the, the world? And of course, there's many wonderful things that are happening in the church those days, as well as the persecution, as well as the harassment, all this kind of stuff. And, but he says, tell me what's going on. And then he says, Keith, pay attention. Stop looking around. He says, I want you to know these three musts. I want you to hear me. There's three important things that you must do. You got it? Paul is saying that with urgency. And he says, pray. You must pray. And also pray for opportunity. How many of you can spot an opportunity to talk about Christ pretty easily? How many of you have been sensitive to that? 
you want to sharpen that, start praying. How many of you prayed for a person or a family or somebody for years? So here we are asking you to put that person that you just put on your heart again, and I want you to lock in and pray for that person. There was a big high school jock that came to me in Denver when I was a youth pastor there, and he goes, his name was Mark, and he's crying after Sunday school. I'm going, what's wrong? He sat down in my office, and he said, there's a guy that bullies me every day. This is back in the 60s, man, or 70s, something like that. And he bullies me all the time. He wants to fight. He said, Mark, I have an idea. God just gave me this. What if you and I pray for that guy and he gave me the name, and we pray for him for a week? Okay. So we did. I prayed for him every day, and so did Mark. A couple days after the week was over, I saw him. I said, Mark, come on, talk to me. Oh, it's different. We're friends. It's like girls. Girls hate each other one day and love each other the next. You noticed? But this guy's whole, just because of prayer, Mark didn't do anything special except pray for this guy by name. He put him before the Lord Jesus Christ and prayed for him and put him on the altar of prayer and started to what? Have compassion for that guy and love for him and understand why he was a bully and all this kind of stuff. Changed everything. What if you would pray for that person for extended time and see what God does with it, right? You're not putting him on the prayer list on just on Monday. It's all the way through. Now, some pray for years that they don't see God's answer to what they hope would happen, but God is answering. Paul, in Romans chapter 10, I love this. He goes, my sincere desire is that Israel be saved. Remember that? And then he prays, and he's praying for them all the time. <coughs> Paul was just the same as Jesus. He was just like, his compassion, his heart has changed from a killer, you know, and an, um, an enemy to a person that prayed. So with your friend, you're praying for them. You become aware of their needs because of that. You have um, their life issues on your heart. You have a heart of compassion for them. It causes you to communicate with them or converse with them. There's more interaction that happens. And it develops in you a sense of urgency, right? You follow that? Lord Jesus, would you please place every person that's been thought of here that does not know you, this one person in each life, in an ocean of prayer right now with your Holy Spirit, Lord. I pray that each person here will have the commitment and compulsion to, to pray. The second thing we see Paul saying to us through the bars, he's saying, you must act wisely. You know, Christians don't get credit for stupid stuff. I've watched people that share their faith and they're just, you know, it's like a project for them or like I'm going to go out and share, I'm going to do this. You know, I told them about the gospel, that's all I need to do. No, no, that's not it at all. And Jesus is, Paul, Paul, Jesus is saying, you know, the, the compassion, the gracefulness, the graciousness, how do you act? Are you acting wisely toward outsiders? When a young couple moved into our lot, and I care a lot about our neighbors, they moved in, and he is a real handy man outside, and he began to fill in the ditch where the water flows. And his neighbor was really upset, because you know what happens with that. He thought it would be cool to have a nice, instead of a ditch, an ugly ditch. So he comes to my door and says to me, um, I'm checking it out in the neighborhood, and people think that you might be the one that have called the police. <laughs> that I call the police or Jake and his wife for filling up the ditch. 
And they said, sir, I don't know you, man. I'm welcome to the neighborhood, but that's not me. I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, and I would never do something like that. Is there anything I can do to help? Well, he, he backed off. And today we're friends. They've been to our home. We love their kids. You know, it's just like the wisdom of how I responded to this false evil accusation of the evil one to try to divide and conquer right away changed everything. I love them. And we're on Facebook friends together and all that stuff. It's just amazing. Well, that's important. It's really important. But acting wisely, you know, Jesus said in the Beatitudes in the end where he said, blessed are those who are persecuted for my name's sake. He's not talking about when you did something dumb and you got in trouble for it. He's talking about when you were like Jesus to someone, like Paul, and you're thrown in prison. If you're persecuted at work because you mentioned the name of Jesus, if you're canceled because of the name of Jesus, whatever happens because you were being like the Savior or speaking words from God's Word, that's the kind of persecution. That's wonderful stuff. God grows it, uses it, uses it. It's amazing. But it's now. My friends, it's now, not the future. It's now. We've got to act wisely now, okay? So um, Romans 12, Paul wrote, he talks very beginning that our bodies need to be holy, right, and worshipful, and then our minds should not be conformed to this world. You read on through that whole chapter, it tells us how to act. And then if you go back to chapter 3 in Colossians, it's just loaded. I wanted to read that to you, but it's take too long. It just sets up what it is to live like the person of Jesus Christ in our culture. Here's a gripe I have. Uh, Lord, forgive me if it's inappropriate, but I see so many Christians that gravitate to random acts of kindness and doing. We're always serving and doing, but we never tell them about Jesus. Nothing wrong with serving, you know? But unless you proclaim the truth, Romans 10, if you, if they, you know, hear with their, believe with their head and their heart, they confess with their mouth. They, if they don't have a preacher, how can they hear? If they don't have someone telling, blessed are those who have evangelistic feet or witness feet to hear the gospel, they're going to guess at it. And there's a lot of good pagans out there, right? Have you noticed? Wonderful. I've had great Mormon friends who are kind of, a, you know, way off beaten track in terms of theology and everything else, but wonderful people. Oh, my goodness. They make Christians like us sometimes like, wow, we're just... So actions, they're part of it, but it's not the whole. And the drift of this is for you to witness. When I was a boy, and you know, when you do two services or three services, you don't know whether you said the first thing already, <laughs> but hear me on this. When I was a kid, back in the 60s and 50s, it was like, you need to witness, We've been in that kind of culture. Witnessing, witness. And it was very well done and very thoughtful, you know, evangelism, you know, witness. But you were very aware that Acts 1.8, Matthew 28, after this you become my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea. You need to witness. Are you witnessing? You're giving your testimony. So then we go this whole route of all this stuff going on and God would refer to it. And now we're, you know, then you brought your friend to church to hear gospel. The Lord Jesus Christ and the gospel is so clear here every Sunday. Amen. Oh my goodness, I'd love to bring someone here to hear. But we can't wait for that. And now it seems like people have gotten less motivated to share and to witness. I'm not blaming you for anything or even fingering you on that. But 
they're busy doing acts of kindness and hope that a person will catch Jesus, right? We need, we need to witness. So I want you to think about that friend of yours. How are you acting to that person? Here's an illustration. So I have the rumpke guy. You guys are rumpke guys? One comes at 5 a.m. in the morning, one comes maybe at like 8. I have to chase the one at 5, but at 8 o'clock, I've developed a relationship with this wonderful African-American guy that's like been doing this for 15 years. And he is so, I've been blessing him and encouraging him and asking about his job. Thank you for doing this, dude. And I, I go get my trash can and take it at the same time. And I, I brought him tea. I brought him Mountain Dew. I brought him water. We hug. I bless him. Every Christmas, I chase him down early in the morning with a Christmas card and a tip. This last year, he got 50 bucks. That's a lot for a poor, poor artist, starving artist. It's like, and this dear woman down here, Barb Shaw, introduced me to a Christmas card. It's amazing. It's like, it starts with this beautiful gold Christmas tree. It's just amazing. It's beautiful with a star and crown. And if you open up each panel, the... The, uh, it's, it's shedding. It's falling apart. It gets to the very end, and it's this tree, bare, and it's like a cross. And there's a crown, and I cry. But I gave it to him with that $50 in there. It went from hugging him and loving him and serving him and acting that way with him, and embarrassingly, he always brings my trash can, my recycle can, back to the garage. <laughs> You don't get that. <laughs> don't laugh, right? God knows. But the reality is, I've learned to act wisely. I can't wait to go to lunch with him. I think this is the year I'm going to really ask because he's seen the gospel now. And he treats me, he just treats me with such love and respect. And I hug him all the time. Neighbors are like, what are you doing? You know, I love this guy, you know. That's acting wisely. Would you close your eyes and think about that friend? Are you willing to pray for them? Do you need to change some actions around your friend? Do you need to ask for forgiveness for something that you did or said that was not too kind? Friends, that's an open door, an opportunity for the gospel. And the last part, say it with me. Prayers first, right? P, prayer. Say it. And then act. How do you act? The last one is we must tell the gospel. And of course, it says that your speech would be always gracious. That sounds like grace giving, doesn't it? Seasoned with salt, a preservative used those days, thrown on the road when it was and saltiness was gone. Always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you should answer each person. That sounds like apologetics or defending the faith, but I want to take it just to the simple level. Paul, obviously, is an amazing, amazing proclaimer and prophet of the gospel. You know, he was proclaiming it all the time. He was compelled to. So he, he had argued with and Mars Hill and all this kind of stuff. But Paul could bring it down to simplicity. And I'm asking you to realize something. The Holy Spirit of God will give you what to say. Can you agree with that? Even I've been trained, I've been training people all my life it's to share their faith. But if you find yourself on occasion with that one person and it's the moment that God has given you and there's common ground and it demands it, tell them. Tell them what he's done for you. Tell them who he is. Tell them 
about Jesus. And I love it when little kids are down there. Some of you are going to experience this. Sweetie, use words. I don't know what you want, but use words. Okay, tell me. Now, we Christians are like that. We get so stinking confusing about, are we in a religion or in a faith or relationship? Use words, children of God. Use words and watch what he says. I was sitting in a restaurant like you'd see in the movies out in the middle of Oklahoma Panhandle waiting for Barbara to come from Colorado. I was doing a ministry in Oklahoma and these two hippies come in. This is back in the 60s. is awesome. They came in barefoot, all this kind of stuff, beads, everything. I'm sitting there like this, you know. I had long hair too, so I was cool. But it's like, I'm sitting in the booth and I'm going, my heart just like, can I just, Lord, I just want to talk. I'm just drawn to them. So finally I prayed and I turned around and I said, dudes, where are you guys from? California? Hitchhiking across the nation. And we started talking. And God brought out of my young spirit all of the amazing verses and the joy and the proclamation of the gospel to these young people. And I loved them. In that moment, I, they were strangers. It was an opportunity. Is that cool? God can do that for you as well. And as you're speaking, you're creating a hunger for Jesus Christ and a thirst for him. Here's a scenario. I told it to the staff. This might work for you. I mean, are you constantly looking for opportunity? Are you constantly looking for words to say? <laughs> so I went to a movie, love movies, Cinemark. I have stock. And I walk in. And, of course, they make you choose a seat. So I love the seat where I can put my feet up on the bar. So I walk in, and here's this young woman, probably in her 30s. She's sitting in my seat. And most seniors aren't too kind about that. Pardon me. You have my seat. I didn't do that. Because my heart is constantly tuned toward him. I'm going, oh, okay. It's a little awkward. I don't want to be alone in a young woman in a theater, old guy, you know. So I, I said, oh, hi, how are you doing? And I moved way down here. Sitting there, and I said, ah, oh, so do you like movies like this? Or I didn't know what it was. I mean, it was, it's called the Easter Sunday morning, or Easter morning. It was really stinking funny. But I'm always conscious. I walk out of movies if they're bad. So this was really funny. And I said, yeah. She said, no, I wanted to go to a movie with my girlfriends, but none of them couldn't go. So I left my kids with them, two and four, and I'm just breaking away and taking some. She was just exhausted. Watching a movie, get, get a charge, you know. I said, yeah, that's what I'm doing. No, I didn't. I said, yeah, well, I'm glad I have somebody to laugh with. We'll hope it's good. So we sit through all this, and I'm going, oh, I hope she's not from Faith Church. You know, so, <laughs> just kidding. But it's like, I'm sitting there, and instead of enjoying a movie, I'm thinking about this woman, and about Jesus, and about her. And, you know, I love people, and I love young people. And so we're laughing, both of us, back and forth. But then it's about, it ends up being about family. It becomes a tearjerker. It's really good. And I'm crying, you know. Because the family's so ripped in this, and it corrected in the end. And they also mocked Jesus in this Catholic church that they pictured on Easter. That's where, they, of course, they go. You have to go to church on, it's at the Catholic church. And Jesus is kind of like, so when we got up, I said, Lord, give me what to say. I get up, I follow around. I said, that was really funny, wasn't it? I was thinking funny, yeah. Yeah, I was. She's looking at her phone the whole time. And I said, ma'am, I don't know you. <laughs> you don't know me. But when you, how old are your kids? And I asked her. And she said two and four, stuff like that. And I said, I've had drama like that in my family. I've had that dysfunction, and God changed it all. And I don't know what you think about what you saw about Jesus in there, 
But that's not the Jesus I know. I want you to, would you remember that Jesus Christ is the real deal? And he changed my life. Have a great day. We walked out. I have been thinking about her ever since. It's like three or four weeks ago. That's the adventure. Do you like that? You say, we have to be advantaged. No, you're just a normal person that's going, my mind and heart are focused on the things of the kingdom, and it's urgent. So I'm hoping that someday I'm going to meet that woman in heaven because I mentioned the name of the Savior, right, to her. Isn't that awesome? That's you. So what are you saying to your friends? What words are you using? I, uh, let me see, time-wise, oh, we can go over. The pastor's not here. I'm good. And Sunday school's over, right? No, I'm just kidding. Listen, no, I'm, 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 we got to do communion soon. But what do I say? After I've gotten the point of praying for that person and acting wisely around them, I said, do you know for certain that if you die, you'd go to heaven? A lot of death around us right now. I get an answer, yes or no, and usually it's no. And I said, suppose you were to stand before God and say, why should I let you into my heaven? What's your name? And they give me what they think God's requirements are. And they said, I have got some great news. I tell them about my journey, real brief. And then I said, you know, God has this incredible free gift for you, eternal life. It's a free gift, and we can't earn it. We don't deserve it. And then I tell her, but, you know, man, the Bible says that man is a sinner. He's sinful and cannot save himself. So we're stuck. He's got this gift for me, but I can't be in his presence because I'm sinful, and my sin is worth death. So I said, here, but then there's God. The Bible teaches about God, that God is a loving God. He loves you so much, and he loves me. But he's also a just God. The guilty will always be punished, according to Scripture say. He will not go unpunished. So here's God. He's got this free gift for me of eternal life. I'm too sinful to be in his presence. You know, he loves me. He's got to punish my sin. And I go, what? now what? He solved it in the most amazing way through the person of Jesus. Who is Jesus? Do you know who he is? I'm talking about that. Jesus, as we read in Colossians chapter 1 he, and 2, he is the total embodiment of the Godhead. He is the real deal. God took a body, lived here, showed us his gospel, his truth, his resurrection. Died on a cross, paid the penalty of sin, death, rose from the dead, offers to us the free gift of eternal life which may be received by faith. And then we talk about faith. That's what I do. How long did that take? Just a couple of minutes, right? You need to learn something and tell them what God has done for you, however you say it. There's great tools, but that's, there's a way to do it. And I, I made a list of people. If you're in the business world, these are people that actually do things like this. They know how to pray and to act and to tell the gospel. Natalie Bullock, of course, you know, what Natalie does in the workplace. Megan Williams, praying constantly for coworkers. Bill Gore, can you imagine? He probably starts with a scripture verse right away. I love Bill. Chance Melvin, I just met him a couple years ago, talked to him this morning, so it's amazing. Chance Melvin uh, works in the business world as well, and kind of he, I can't tell you what he does because it's kind of law enforcement. Hospitality. If you say, well, I've got friends in the hospitality, you know, Roddy and Carol Bullock always invite people in their homes, right? In the street, in the neighborhood. They're in their homes all the time. Jan Newhousel, whose husband passed away, and we're going to do her, his celebration this Saturday. She does this all the time. I've been at those where there's unbelievers and friends and just amazing. 
The serving and caring people, there's so many. I'm going to leave people out here, but Gary and Debbie, I run away from them. They're in our small group because they're serving everybody all the time. And Gary always wants you to go mow a lawn or something. You know, for the cause of Christ, talk to Gary and Debbie. They've been in campus world, um, campus ministry or youth, Angie Cress, Chip Shaw, Susie Lehman, okay? The college-age cross-culture, Charlie Summers, Stephen Hart. So crazy man. Where's Stephen? You here? I love you, Stephen. You're amazing. You are modern-day Paul. Get to know him. Sports world, the Austin Sides family with On Goal. Jeff Woodard in the racing world. Karen Norton with AIA. There's so many. I can't, I can't even, you know. Uh, Matt uh, Jordan would be on campus. It's another person I forgot to mention. Intercessors and prayer warriors. There are people that know how to do this. They're sitting right there. Bonnie and Doug Hauer. You're intercessors, right? You pray. Pray. Mimi Chitwood, do you know her? She, half the reason we've survived in this church is through people like that. Praying and praying for the Father. I would be glad to show you how to share your faith the way I've learned and trained, if you're ever interested. So I want you to know that. But will you think of that last, that last point? Pray, act, and tell. Would you ask the Lord Jesus to create in you a spirit with all of that, to open your mouth, okay? In closing, right before our communion, let me read you this. If you've tracked me, you've heard this, but it's so powerful and true. My friend... I stand in judgment now and feel that you're to blame somehow. On earth, I walked with you day by day and never did you point the way. You knew the Lord in truth and glory, but never did you tell the story. My knowledge then was very dim. You could have led me safe to him. Though we lived together here on earth, you never told me of the second birth. And now I stand this day condemned because you failed to mention him. You taught me many things, that's true. And I called you friend and I trusted you, but I learned now that it's too late. You could have kept me from this fate. We walked by day and talked by night, and yet you showed me not the light. You let me live and love and die, and you knew I never live on high. Yes, I called you friend in life and trusted you through joy and strife. And yet, on coming to this dreadful end, I cannot now call you my friend. Let's pray.